You are listening to Agent Court Church's audio podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to. Well, good morning. And uh, good morning to you joining us online. Now, did you vote this past Monday? Now, whether you did or not, you get a chance to vote today. And uh, now, if you're online and you're from, you know, up north or down under, you're going to, in Ontario, we had in our city's uh, elections this past week, and uh, we live in Toronto. So, uh, we're going to vote. But before we do, let's just sort of catch up to where we've been in this series, It's Okay to Be Different. Uh, We started out understanding it's okay to be more than an animal, to be a being that designed in the image of God has this privilege of connecting with God. And uh, it's okay, but not to do it in an embarrassing way. And then we saw it's okay to be the kind of people who can handle partnering with God in his ultimate rescue plan for the human race, but it's not okay to do it in the cray-cray way. Then we saw it's okay to leave every place and person better than when you arrived and to speak up because forever Jesus is alive. So them was the first five. I don't know. This is Today, the final message of it's okay to be different is it's okay to be uh, unpopularly popular. And you get to vote. Here's how it's going to work. We're going to zoom in on four different experiences of our first century brothers and sisters, who we've been hearing a lot about in this series. And uh, we're going to sort of decide with our vote, were they, was it popular to be a Christian? Was it unpopular to be a Christian? Or was it unpopularly popular to be a Christian? All right. The first one is sort of easy. Jesus has just risen from the dead. These people have seen Jesus dead than alive with their own eyes. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit. And in Jerusalem, they burst out the doors on the day of Pentecost and told the thousands of curious people that gathered that this was all about Jesus being alive for them. And 3,000 became followers of Jesus that day. That brings us to where we're going to vote. Every day, this is the context, every day now, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. I told you it was easy. Is it popular? You can talk to me. Upstairs, you can talk to me. Online, talk to yourself. (laughs) Popular. Yeah, that's an easy one. Okay, let's go for vote number two, because not too long after that, Peter and John were on their way to teach the new Christians. Can you imagine having who knows how many thousand or whatever in your new Christians course in the temple courts? By the way, uh, around here we call that course next. And not this Wednesday night, but the one following. I'm going to be teaching anyone that's recently begun following Jesus. going to help you understand, you know, when you hit problems, how you overcome them with God's help. How to feed yourself from the Bible and how to talk to God, have meaningful communication with him. So, so feel free to join. It's, uh, it's next, and I'm sure there's information online to, to join. So they're on their way to teach this new Christians course, but on the way, they meet a guy that has been crippled for 40 years. He's 40 years old, cripples since birth, 
And he's doing what he did every day. You know, you still go over to Jerusalem today, there's still beggars outside the, the temple and, and begging for money, begging for money. Peter and John come by and they look at him and they say, we forgot our wallets. No, they say, they say, silver and gold we do not have, but what we do have, we give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And so multitudes became aware of this miracle and another thousand began following Jesus. All right, so that's, that's the context for vote number two. Not everyone was happy. The religious authorities, the governmental authorities were not happy. This new movement in Jerusalem was growing too much for their comfort. They seized Peter and John and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Not everybody's happy. It's not popular with the government, so they are unpopularly popular. All right, vote number three. Let me set it up. It all changed in the early church. Everything changed. The day that a leader, Deacon Stephen, was martyred, he was killed because... He told people about his faith in Jesus. And uh, it, just, it just changed the sort of the mood in the church and everything. You can be killed for being a, a Christian now. And, 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 and so look at, look at the context. On that day that Stephen was killed, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. Saul, Saul, ever heard of him? We know him. Yeah. The Apostle Paul. How did that happen? We'll get to that. Be patient. Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women, put them in prison. How many know? Suddenly, it is not popular. It's not unpopularly popular. It is, at least with the government, and the religious officials. But I loved, uh, were you here last weekend? E even if you're with us online, did you see those testimonies? And uh, Donovan, just, you're here, just loved that expression. You turned 360 degrees <laughs> when you gave life to Jesus. Somebody else that happened to, Saul. We just met him. Saul, just, his life just spun around, turned around. Listen, he was the greatest persecutor of Christians. He became persecuted Christians so much so that he was a martyr. He gave his life for Jesus because Jesus transformed his life. And so when we hit vote number four, Saul's off the scene and here's what you have. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. How many say it was? Yeah, or, or at least unpopularly popular. Or popular, I mean, what we're saying here is that it changed a lot just in those first years recorded in the book of Acts for the New Testament church. Here's the important question. When do people most follow Jesus? When it's popular to be a Christian, unpopular to be a Christian, or unpopularly popular to be a Christian? The logic would say, well, it's, you have more people following Jesus when it's, I mean, that just would be logic, but hold on. Those that study the first centuries of the church and even the last 2,000 years 
would say, hold on, it's at least when it's politically unpopular that the church has seen its greatest growth, more lives being transformed by Jesus and people becoming followers in Jesus, followers of Jesus in the greatest numbers. You know, the worst one, the worst one, you know, you have these Roman emperors who were, uh, you know, persecuting Christians to varying degrees, but by the time you hit Nero, when Peter and Paul were both killed, it was Nero. Nero was the one who uh, put Christians into animal skins and put them out into the Roman Colosseum in front of 50,000 bloodthirsty spectators to entertain them to see the Christians ripped apart by wild animals. He's the one that, that had Christians turned into streetlights for his all-night parties. Burning them to death. I mean, this, he, this, this is, you know what happened? During those very years, so many people were coming to Christ that by the time he hit the year 300, well, let me let Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones explain it in his words. He says, by the beginning of the third century, okay, so 100, 200, since Jesus died, rose again, people are just following him in increasing numbers. By the beginning of the third century, it had become, the church had become such a powerful force that a Roman emperor named Constantine deemed it a wise move to make the Roman Empire officially Christian. And you might say, yay, no more persecution. This is great. It's it's what to be a Christian now. I mean, the emperor's a Christian. His mom's a Christian. It's popular to be a Christian. You know, I, when Esther and I, a number of years ago, visited the city of Rome, we were there for a couple of days on our own, and I really wanted to see the catacombs. You weren't allowed to bury people uh, within the city of Rome by the Roman law of the time, so we got on the bus on our own and went out to the Via Appia, where you, you can, you, you'll see 20 kilometer long tunnels, sometimes five stories deep, and Christians and non-Christians are buried there. And, and guess where the Christians used to meet for their services? In the catacombs. Why? Because they were persecuted, so they went underground, and their houses weren't big enough to hold the number of people that were coming to Christ. They had all these services in the catacombs. Matter of fact, when we were singing, Matt, this morning, that song, and Margaret, you know, uh, I believe in Jesus and rose again, you know, a lot of the, these Christians didn't know how to read or, or write, and, and it was through songs and through someone teaching them from the Bible that they come to understand, I could just picture them in the catacombs saying, I believe you, Jesus. Believe you rose again and you're coming again. They, 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 they met there. But now, with Constantine, it's popular to be a Christian. So Christians come out from the underground and they're above the ground. They build churches and cathedrals. And you might say, yay, this must be the time where most people came to Christ. But what happened was this. You couldn't tell who was really a Christian on the inside. <laughs> or were they just signing up to be a Christian because it was popular. It was like for a lot of people, it's a cool thing to be a Christian. So they changed the label on the outside without Jesus changing their life on the inside. Just nominal Christians. And so those who research the 
followers of Jesus over the last 2,000 years say that, you know, the church grew when it was persecuted. It was when it was unpopular or unpopularly popular. Popular with the everyday people, but maybe not with the government that wanted to control. You know, in the Canada that I grew up in, I grew up where, as a child, there was a bottom-line respect for our Christian heritage. Even the governments, you knew they were going to be ruled by the Judeo-Christian values. You know, every day there was prayer in the schools. Not sure how many, you know, were praying, but there was prayer in the schools, in the, in the public school system. And then by the time I was a teenager, the Jesus movement. Ever hear of that? Young people coming to Jesus in California up to the West Coast. It swept all the way to Halifax, Nova Scotia. And uh, there were, you, had, you had to have some hippies in your church just to be a cool church back then. Do you remember that? You know, they had to have someone with jeans and long hair. You should have seen my hair. You should have seen Rohan Apadurus. No, you should have seen hair back then, you know. But, but there was this unsuppressible love for Jesus Christ in the church. Wouldn't it be great, nice to have hair like that, Jonathan, again? Wouldn't it be wonderful? It just, it just. I know, I, I feel rebuked already. Denominations, you know, they used to sort of say, you know, we're just sort of a little bit better than you. We're all followers of Jesus, but we're a little better. So you had this Baptist church on one corner singing the hymn, Will My Name Be Written Down? And the Pentecostal church on the other corner saying, no, not one, no, not one. You know, just, just this denominational barrier started to come down. Um, the youth group that I was a part of, the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, it was called CAs, Christ's Ambassadors. You know, it grew to be the largest weekly gathering of any young people in all of Canada. I mean, these, these were days, I mean, the huge market for Christian television and radio, books and tapes and videos. There were Christians in all levels of government. Matter of fact, I remember Pastor Jonathan being at a, a conference where they announced that uh, the government of Canada has just changed some of the lyrics of the national anthem to these words, God keep our land glorious and free. We Christians just thought, oh, right on. This is, we're, just, we're just escalating. We're on a good trajectory here. You know? And then when they repatriated the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, they included these words in the preamble that Canada was a nation that recognized the supremacy of God and the rule of law. It just, it just seemed like these... The, I was pastoring in my 20s at the time in Edmonton, and we couldn't keep up with the number of people that were coming to Jesus. Mainly young adults... And, and we had monthly baptismal services, sometimes a couple a month, just trying to keep up to the number of people that were coming to Christ. Um, I did 18 weddings just in July and August out there one year. 18 weddings, three in one day. Just, just why? Because people who had been living together were coming to Christ and then wanted to follow God's plan for marriage. They just, Jesus is Lord of every area of our lives. Uh, we, we were in a building program in a church that we'd only been in for four years, the building, and, but we were in multiple services and we had people sitting in the lobby in chairs. Just, just, it was just people coming to Christ so easily, it seemed. 
and uh, there were healings and, and miracles. Listen, those that attended Aging Court or another church like that in Canada at that time can confirm that during the 70s, 80s, and 90s, those were booming years for the church in Canada. That's where 100 Huntley Street was just people coming to Christ, full gospel businessmen, women's aglow, Youth for Christ, Campus Crusade, Agape Force, all of these organizations were just at their prime and they were booming. Listen, if you are looking for a season in Canada where it was popular to be a Christian, this is probably as close as you'll ever get, those years. And it was a popular teaching at the time. It came out, because we're prospering, right? So the prosperity message. If you need a healing, you need money, you just name it, claim it, and frame it. You know, just, just, just go for it. Matter of fact, one uh, teaching that became popular in some circles at that time was this. That things are getting so good, and the church is growing so much, we're going to take over the world, and Jesus is going to return for a bride that is without spot and wrinkle. And when Jesus returns, we're going to have kingdom now, it was called. Kingdom now. There wasn't a whole lot said about what Jesus said, that you'll be hated for my namesake. There wasn't a whole lot about what Jesus said, that my followers will be persecuted. Or in the end times, nation will rise against nation. And there'll be change, drastic changes in the environment. No one really talked about that, even though it was in the Bible, chapters of it, written by, spoken by Jesus. It wasn't popular to quote the Apostle Paul when he said, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, and they'll hate others. All right, so we got one last chance to vote. Here it is. Ten years from now, looking at the condition of the church in Canada today, ten years from now... Where do you see Christians and churches in Canada? You see, statistics tell us very convincingly that attendance in church in Canada has not only plateaued, but in the last number of years, it's on the decline. It's on the decline. Churches are closing down. Ten years out, what do you see? Will there be more? Do you think you'll be persecuted because you're a Christian more or less than you are now? Will we be popular, unpopular, or unpopularly popular as a Christian in Canada. Or, you know, as you look at the next 10 years and look at the way society and culture and nations of the world are going, could it be that there would be some huge social disruption or something nuclear would happen of a you know, worldwide magnitude uh, impact or some environmental tragedy or some economic catastrophe so drastic that it would shake up people so much that they would say, you know what, there's more to life than this, and they would turn on mass to the Lord. Could that happen over the next 10 years? 10 years from now, where do you see Christians and churches in Canada? How many say, Pastor, you keep asking us, why don't you tell us? All right, I'm going to tell you exactly what Pastor Jonathan and I think. We don't know. So let me tell you three things that we do know. I can, tell, I can promise you this, that 10 years from now, you as a Christian and we as a church will be healthy and will be advancing if we're okay with three characteristics. The first one is this. We, we're going to have to be okay with being supernatural without being weird. Supernatural without being weird. You see, we know in Canada 
the gospel. We have information. We have more Bible translation and books about the Bible and following Jesus and, and the history of the church. We have so much that is there for us. We have a lot of knowledge of God. But, well, let's just look at a scripture. Look at this. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. We have a lot of information. We know the knowledge of God. We have a lot about the, the wisdom of God. We, we work through issues and philosophize. And we have lots of stuff that is so available to us to help any thinking person process uh, issues of, of faith in their minds. The Apostle Paul dealt with a lot of weird stuff in the New Testament church, but he did say this. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. <laughs> it's not the gospel that's the problem. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the, it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. See, the reality is the first century Christians had very little of the Bible. Most of them didn't know how to read or write. It depended on a letter arriving from Paul in the church and they'd read it and probably read it again like we did at Cathedral recent Sunday night. And then maybe a little bit would come through of a gospel that Mark had told the story. They had very little to go on. But oh, did they have the? They had power. Lies were changed. People healed. And they just latched on and cherished any information, any knowledge they had of Jesus. You know, a number of years after Constantine made it popular to become a Christian, there's this story of someone that is visiting the headquarters of the church in Rome by now a palatial, rich, grand compound. And, and, and he walked into one room and saw the grandeur and the money that had been involved. He said, no longer can the church say silver and gold, have we none? And someone in the room said, and neither can the church say anymore in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. See, they'd lost something there that the first century Christians had. And that was that the gospel wasn't just about resources and information. It was about the power of God, the power of God to change lives. Dr. Brian Stiller, a, a Canadian, former president of Tyndale Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, travels the world and gives eyewitness accounts as to how the church is doing in different parts of the world. In his book I read recently, he, he says this, just you know, comparing churches in the West, in North America, Europe, with where churches are still seeing explosive growth, people coming to Jesus, lives transformed. He said this, Western minds tend to operate as if faith was just an idea, you know, information. The debate between liberal and conservative doctrines has thus largely been about ideas. The notion that spiritual war is waged in the heavenlies seems spooky. However, it doesn't take many conversations with church leaders in Africa, Asia, or Latin America before you understand that their search for spiritual advancement is within the spirit world. We might be uncomfortable with identifying dysfunction or disunity as something other than psychological, but Christians in so much of the world think otherwise. It is for them a battle defined as spirit warfare, and it is all often associated with intercessory prayer. 
Can you imagine if we began to look for prayer to do something that delivered more of God's power? You know, that's what January is going to be all about, isn't it? Pastor Jonathan, and you're leading us in the right direction there. We're going to be, we're going to be teaching about, but experiencing just new levels of prayer. Because I believe with all my heart that if we're going to be thriving as a Christian and thriving as a church 10 years from now, should Jesus not return, we're going to have to be okay with being supernatural people, but without being weird. All right, what, what else? Secondly, we're going to have to get okay with Jesus as Lord, whether it's popular or not. See, the first century Christians, they had to decide, is Jesus going to be Lord or not? Because it was considered treason in the Roman Empire to say Jesus was your Lord because there'd be no other gods. And it often meant imprisonment, being disowned by your family, that you didn't get a job. There are all kinds of persecutions. Now, so we need to be clear here because, well, to put it, to cut to it, Sometimes I'll hear someone come to me, oh, Pastor Keith, would you pray with me, please? I'm being persecuted. And I listen to what they think is persecuted. I listen to what they did, and they did something really stupid <laughs> or wrong. I'm being persecuted. That's not being persecuted. Let, let, let's take it from the words of Jesus. Watch this. Blessed are you who are persecuted for the sake of? Not for doing wrong, but for doing Right. It's like the Apostle Paul jumps right in on this, and he says it too. He says it. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be, but you're persecuted for living, eh? Yeah. So, going forward, the next 10 years, when you live for Jesus, and, and, you, and you do what's right, and you're gracious with people, and you love people, and you care for them, and you forgive, and you accept, but you, 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 you stick to your guns with what you know to be true of Jesus in a gracious way. Do you know what? You're going to have one of two outcomes. Number one, you're either going to be unpopular, as Pastor Jonathan talked about this last weekend, because people are going to look at you, and you're going to make them sort of feel bad because they're not what they would consider goody-goody like you. And so they're going to turn on you they're going to feel bad about their wrong and they'll persecute you. That, that could happen, but there's another outcome. Others can say, well, I see Jesus in you. I have a spiritual hunger for reality, spiritual reality. I want to know more about the Jesus that I see revealed in you. You see, that's what happened to the New Testament church. That's what happened throughout church history. China is often used as an example. There are so many examples, but, but China is probably the most drastic because remember when the Mao uh, regime and the era and uh, foreigners, including every missionary, they were kicked out. They wondered, will there be any Christians left in China when the wall comes down and we get to see what's really going on? And they found out that the church, even though politically it was unpopular, Amongst the people, the church had grown exponentially. And to the point where we're told there are over 200 million Christians in China today. And they say, people that know a lot more than me, say by the year 2030, we're on track for there to be more Christians in China than in any other nation of the world. You know, now, that didn't happen 
when it was just popular. Well, it sort of was unpopularly popular because it was unpopular with the government. And the government in China today not so much tries to persecute you. There are incidents of that, but they certainly try to control the church and control. And when you don't come under their control, then they persecute you. But it's unpopularly popular. People are coming to Christ. Dr. David Wong, who is right on the front lines, he's been a guest at Global Focus here in years past. He writes this. He said, recently, with Asian Outreach, recently one of our co-workers went to China with a large sum of money to bail out a Christian worker. She had been sentenced to five years of hard labor in a very poor province of China. A few days later, my co-worker returned with the money. The woman refused to be bailed out. She said... Pray for me, but don't get me out of this situation. Here is where the sinners are. Here is where the criminals are. Here is where Jesus Christ would have me come. Now he has sent me, so please don't bail me out. <laughs> A much respected Presbyterian pastor in New York, uh, Dr. Timothy Keller, has put it this way. He, 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 said, he said when he commented on the church in the future, in North America, he said, we need to personally develop the resilience that the New Testament church had. You know, whether it's popular, unpopular, or unpopularly popular, Jesus Christ is Lord. So we're going to have to learn to do that. Third, we're going to have to get okay with Jesus returning and saying, we're going to light up the place until he does. Okay with Jesus' return. We sang about it in those great songs today. Everything from how great thou art when Christ shall come. To, you know, I believe you're, you're, you're coming again, Jesus. We're going to have to get okay with that. All right. Now, it, this is the last teaching in the um, Okay to be Different series. This series that sang, like the song said, you stood before creation. And we saw that... In creation, who knows how much time went by and all that God made, because we didn't have the sun and moon until later in the creative process of God. And then he, he made humans in his image, in his likeness. A unique being on the planet that had a connection with, with his God who wanted to do life forever with them. But they were given a free will. They messed up. And, and, and even in that time, even with a broken spiritual receptor and receiver, they still, the Bible says, called on the name of the Lord. <laughs> and then time went by and God said, Abraham, if you'll partner with me, I want to raise up a nation through whom all other nations of the world will be blessed. It's like a Messiah is going to come through you. It's going to rescue the human race. Would you partner with me? And Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and time went by, and then 400 years of slavery in Egypt. It's like the dream died, but they kept something of their identity as God's people, and then they needed to be prepared. Remember not to be those cray-cray people, but need to be prepared over that time. And Moses and Joshua got them to the promised land. Then you had 2,000 years of prophets, priests, and kings. Some of them... Great, often not so great. But they, this nation that God had raised up needed to re-establish its identity, so they're sent off into exile. And oh, did they ever figure out who they were then? 
And they wanted to come back to Jerusalem, Nehemiah and Ezra, and they rebuild the temple. And, 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 then, and then there's these four, prophets started to say things like this. There's going to come one, you know, Isaiah 53. He's going to be a lamb who will be led to the slaughter, not opening his mouth. He'll be die for our sins and describe the coming Messiah with more detail about the crucifixion. And then, and then you had these 400 silent years go by between the last book of the Old Testament and the, and the beginning of the New. And then in the fullness of time, guess who arrived on the planet? As promised. Jesus Christ, and he lived a perfect life, died on the cross, giving us that perfection, and then he rose from the dead so we could have everlasting life and new life on this planet. And then Jesus, before going into heaven and saying, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to take my place. He'll do whatever I did for you. He'll be doing for you. But he said, I shall come again. I shall return. But until I do, you got work to do. Go into all the world with this good news that this God who from the beginning loved you and had a plan for you, and even though you broke it, he came to restore it with his own blood. He paid the price. He's the lamb that was slain. And, and, and go and tell people all over the world that he did this for them too. And that brings us to... You know, because the first century church, have you been hearing these last few weeks from both Pastor John and me? They did a pretty good job, didn't they? They did a great job. And now it's our turn. What's the future going to look like? <laughs> What's the future going to look like? Well, we need to remember all that's going to matter is that Jesus is coming back again and what matters in light of eternity. Going back to those catacombs, there's so many things that are different between the Christians and the non-Christians that were buried. Here's one of them. The non-Christians that were buried there, you can read because they had all these Roman and Greek gods and they'd say, oh, our son has been taken to us from the gods. It was all fatalism and hopelessness and negativity about the afterlife. And then you can easily find the Christians where they're buried because guess what you see? Cross, the good shepherd, an anchor, the ictus symbol, you know, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior, and a crown pointing to when we'll throw our crowns at his feet in the afterlife. Jesus is our King. And so it's almost like, you know that song that we sing around here that says, Jesus commands my destiny. You can just hear them singing that in the catacombs. And, and their graves just declare it with the symbolism and the inscriptions. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I stand. You see, the heart of this series is not that we would return to some Canadian church of the 70s and 80s and do church the way that they did back then. It's not that we would, it would be popular in Canada to be a Christian again. And it certainly is not about that we would be persecuted or it would be unpopular to be a Christian again. This heart of the series is this, that whether it is popular, unpopular, or popularly unpopular to be a Christian in the next 10 years, we will say, we will serve the Lord because Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the king of my life. Where till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ, I stand. That's what this series is about. 
Jesus is returning. Do you know what's interesting? And you read the last book of the Bible, it doesn't say he's returning for cringing Christians, cowering Christians. It says he's re- to him who overcomes. We're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer, Jesus said, I have overcome. How many are grateful that we know how things are going to turn out? Jesus is going to return. And we will rule and reign with him forever. But he said, until that day, you got work to do. Now it's our turn. And he said this. He said, go to the ends of the world. But he also said, I'll be with you when you do. I'll be right there with you to the ends of the earth. I will build my church. And the worst that humans, evil, or demonic powers will throw at you, I will give you the power to overcome. Jesus is returning. And that means that every wrong that you and I experience in this lifetime will be made right. It means that every destructive, deceptive, diabolical force of evil will be shut up forever. And every human being who is an unrepentant wrongdoer will receive justice with mercy from Jesus because Jesus is returning as the righteous judge. If Jesus is returning, and that means every president, every prime minister, yes, Putin and Trump included, yes, every benevolent dictator and every ruthless power and glory-seeking dictator, every Constantine and every Nero will bow before him and say, Jesus, you are my king. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. And it is forever. Jesus is returning and that means that every human that has ever lived, regardless of their ethnicity, religion or no religion, their socioeconomic background, they will look upon the one Savior of the world and say, Jesus, you are Lord. And you know what it means for us Christians? It means that every Christian will look to the throne of the universe to look for our King of Kings, ruling with authority, and we will see the Lamb of God that was slain for us. And we'll cast any life achievement crowns at his feet and realize it's all because of grace that we were there. And we'll say with one voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain for our sin. For you have redeemed us. You're the reason and the only reason why we are here. You were slain for us and you have redeemed us from every tribe and language and nation. We're here in heaven, Jesus, because of you and you alone. Until he returns, let's light up the place. Amen? (laughs) Let's pray. Let's pray together. Jesus, we're okay with being different if being different means to follow you and become more and more like you. We pray together at the end of this series, thanking you for all the people in past human history who have partnered with your plan. We've learned from their wrongs and we've learned from what they got right. But now, Lord, it's our turn. And if we divide human history up, we're here in the kingdom for such a time as this. It's our turn. And we join with first century brothers and sisters, Peter, Paul, Martha, Mary, and we say, Jesus, you are Lord of our lives. In the next 10 years, we want to experience the gospel, not just as knowledge, but as the power of God. And we want to follow you into our workplaces, our places of school, or 
neighborhoods, into our families, whether it's popular or not, to say that, Jesus, you're our king. You're our king, and we're going to live for you. Oh, 10 years from now, may every Christian watching online, may every Christian, may every person watching online or in this room who opens their heart and becomes a follower of Jesus today, may they join every one of us who are already following you to say, Jesus, I believe, I believe. I believe in this God the Father and his plan. Jesus is son who he sent. I believe the Holy Spirit is with us to get the, the job done of lighting up the world until he comes. Oh church, let's, let's finish this prayer by, by singing this song, affirming that, that Jesus has our hearts and our lives and our futures going forward. Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.